This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, opioids. Is decriminalizing really the answer? Or is that the only answer that's going to fix it? Is there even possibility that it could be fixed? Garth Mullins explains all sides and some steps that he thinks needs to be taken and some deep insights from inside the lifestyle and try to create a brand new life out of it all. Dave Scott from Space.Radio joins us with the world of the woo. We break down the crazy developments in the world of UFOs and the international dispatch with Sir Christopher Gilbert. All of this and more coming up on the Shift Daily Podcast. Welcome to the International Dispatch from our world citizen. Live from Japan, New Zealand's Chris Gilbert. Sir Christopher Gilbert used to be a producer here on The Shift, and then he said, screw you guys, I'm out of here. And he left. Pretty much. And the joke's on me. I'm not vaccinated. Y'all are. Yeah. And not only that, but then he's like, hey, by the way, uh, want to hang out on the show? <laughs> yes, so that's exactly are. what I was like. That sounds just yeah. like me. It does sound um, like just like you. Please. Can I yeah, please? Can I uh, have some radio time, please? Can I can I cancel on you once a month, please? Because I keep losing my voice. Yeah, Chris lost his voice last month. He's back. He's feeling good. Uh, he's yeah. healthy-ish, and uh, things are going on. There's nothing nefarious there, um, no. and everything else. Um, wonderful backdrop, by the way, of the pandas that you have on our Zoom call. Looks good. Oh yeah, I got the pandas pumping tonight. You got the pandas going off on that little. Little panda rave behind me on the Zoom call. No pandas here though. It's um, everyone's everyone's locked inside. Is it their houses? Is that, is that what's um going on over there now? Is everyone stay at home still, or are you out barbecuing and picnicking and camping for summertime? No, uh, for pretty much everywhere. Although it is starting to open some things up, pretty much everywhere is still on a lockdown of some not a lockdown restrictions of some some fashion. And yeah. uh, but it's uh, starting to sort of look up as the numbers are finally coming down, so that feels pretty good. So that's what, do you, what do you what do you what do you at at the moment roughly like? Because uh, we we got seven hundred a day ish here in Tokyo still in the city. Yeah, like well, like well, in the entire prefecture of like uh, what twenty million ish people, it's like maybe seven hundred a day. But you know, like it's it's like the lockdown here is hot, like more severe, I would say, than it ever has been. Um, mm. at least in my time here, like they, it's really against the constitution of Japan to force businesses to close and force people to stay home. You can't do that. So what they can do is take your booze away. <laughs> so oh, if you go so to cool. the restaurant, you can still go to the restaurant, but you can't buy any liquor there. You know, everything's Coke and traffic lights and pink Panthers and stuff. But, um, so yeah, but the numbers, like the numbers are still like up around seven and a seven hundred to a thousand a day. You know, it's... yeah, BC was four to five hundred. Alberta is seven to eight hundred, roughly now. Which Alberta was as high as twenty five hundred. Uh, Manitoba is very high; it's over five hundred. So per capita, that's a lot. Yeah. And Ontario's in the two thousands. It kind of plateaued and hasn't come down much. Oh man, but hang really, in there, the, guys. The hottest spot right now in Canada is um, is Manitoba. Which uh, sucks because they were so good for so long. So that's where we are. Yeah, now. yeah. No, when when I was living in BC, Manitoba was um, the golden child of Canada. You know, it was mm -hmm. um, everything was looking on the up and up. But uh, okay, I feel kind of bad now for talking about the Tokyo numbers, considering the population difference. Um, man, okay, yeah. Everyone get vaccinated and hang in there as long as possible. And um, yeah. maybe maybe don't send your uh, your Canadian Olympic team over here. That would be a good, a good yeah. idea too. <laughs> uh, we will find out from Sir Christopher Gilbert as uh, the Olympics do unroll what is happening, what the tone is like yeah. inside all things, um, all things uh, Japan and and Tokyo in particular. So, where are we going on this little journey? You have a special journey for us tonight. Well, you know, I was making my, um, I was remaking because I updated every now and then, but it's my radio portfolio, um, which is diversifying, and I came across um, my old camp stories. So. When I moved to Canada a couple of years ago, um, I went via Maine, USA, where I decided to teach podcasting as kind of like a little holiday uh, to a summer camp for a couple of months. And yeah. uh, so I thought that with summer coming up and uh, listening back to these kids' stories um, that I would, I thought, you know, like these, these really do deserve to be shared with the wider audience. Um, the kids are just absolutely like imagination factories 
Um, and like, uh, they, you, you give them a microphone and you push them out the door and you say, go. And, uh, like they're funny and they're irreverent and, you know, they're whimsical. And so I thought this week I might do a, a little something, a little bit less newsy and a little bit more, um, you know, I don't know, human, humanistic, humane. I'm not sure what the word is there, mm. but yeah, I'm hey, going to share some. Yeah, I'm going to share some of the uh, the stories from from the kids uh, right. that we made a couple of years ago. I, I will give a shout out to the camp. The camp is Camp Winnebago. It is on Echo 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 Lake in Maine. Um, it was a really Very cool funny. place. There's lots of uh, loons. I'd never encountered a loon before, but you hear them at nighttime, and it's really spooky. Um, and the year that I was there, 2019, was their 100th anniversary. So um, just, just uh, I promised the director, when I asked him permission to share the stories, a little shout-out. So there's a shout-out to Camp Winnebago, uh, Sandy Kids, um, great place. Nice. <clears throat> anyway, uh, this first story that I want to share with you guys um, is there was this one kid at camp who in every activity he did, he kept running for president. Uh, so if he was in film class, he was like, I want to do a film about running for president. And if he was in like drama class, he wanted to do something about running for president. Uh, but he never actually like every time someone was like, uh, okay, cool. We'll do that. He was like, no, 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 no. I, I don't want to, I don't want to. I was just joking. So in podcasting class, I made him run for president. And I was like, no, if you, you had to put your money where your mouth is and, and run for president. Uh, and of course he went around camp asking people to vote for him. He had a campaign manager and uh, nobody would vote for him because, you know, I don't know, he was like giving kids Chinese burns or like he had no policy. And, you know, he was just like, uh, what are you running for president for? And he was like, oh, no, I'm just running for president. And they're like, of the USA? He was like, no, 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 I just want to be president like, of the world. And it's like, no, 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 I, I just want to be president. And so no one would vote for him until it finally got to the point where uh, this young man had had enough Um and uh, so we're going to listen to a clip from uh, from that now. And the first voice you're going to hear is his campaign manager. Is running for presidentship in a couple of days. Will you vote for him? What is he running for president for? No, no, stop this immediately. Turn it off. Turn it off. The president, the pres- your candidate seems to be running away. Trademark my name. He's running away because he, he's, ru- he's running for president. The, the candidate seems very unwilling to become president. He's running for president. Well, it seems like he's running away. For president. He's, he's running away for president. Ah, there you go. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, yeah, 13 years old and, uh, you know, still, st- uh, I think still a, a better, um, better PR team than, um, you know, most government departments in Canada anyway. Fair enough. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's some good twist there on that one. And, uh, I still, I still, I still comment. Um, I make that. I make. I say that little line. I'm running away for president every now and then in my everyday life thing because I like it so much. <laughs> I think that's um, great. There's a few people that could run away for politics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, running away for president. Um, this next one is uh, so. I, I would make the kids like. I would not make them, but I would let them do absolutely anything they wanted to do so if they walked through my door and they wanted to make a movie trailer they can make a movie trailer if they wanted to run away for president they could run away for president um so one a lot of them just like wanted to talk about their friends you know like i want to interview my friend jack or whatever and just fill it with in jokes and um so here is uh one friend interviewing another friend and uh he poses him a very interesting hypothetical situation which I'm sure we can all relate to. So uh here's the next story. What would you do if you had to decide to bring your your girlfriend on a cruise or your best friend on a cruise? I'd probably bring my best friend on my cruise because then we could just like I don't know, just like have more fun, I guess, just cuz like as opposed to your girlfriend, you have to like impress i don't know and your friend you can just like mess around and do stuff but if you could bring both what would you do with your girlfriend and your best friend to do like at the same time if they okay i would probably just like i don't even know (laughs) now let's say you brought your girlfriend what would you do with your girlfriend (laughs) do stuff that i would do like i I don't know like swim (laughs) or something on a cruise i don't know okay well, next question. Yeah. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> that's a uh, that's a that's a complicated topic, Chris. That's a that's like I a know. quintessential life topic. Do you take your buddy or do you take your girlfriend? On a cruise. And if you take your girlfriend on a cruise, what do you even do with your girlfriend on a cruise? Oh, it's um, asking, yeah, well, swim, of course. It's asking 13-year-olds the questions that we can't ask them. So uh, thanks for that, guys. And if you take oh, your God. best friend and your girlfriend on a cruise, what yeah. would you do with your best friend that, and your girlfriend on a cruise? could have backfired in, in a big way. That one could have backfired. These are children, and they're lovely. And they, do make, they make wonderful radio stories. And uh, I that 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 one is one that um I shared with my friends at the time that it came out, and uh, I I didn't think it was like that funny at first, but that was the one that my friends kept talking about to me that they loved the bit about the best friend and the girlfriend on the cruise, and so mm-hmm. I, I thought I thought yeah it was fine, but they did a good job with it. Um, this next one is probably my favorite story. This is actually the full story is actually about eight minutes long, but this is a this is about a minute of it. Uh, four kids came into the, my room and they were like, we want to do a story about people's shoes. And I'm like, oh, what are you going to do about the shoes? And, you know, what are you going to say? And like, well, we just want to go around camp talking about people's shoes. So they decided that their situation was there are a team of investigators. There's the lead investigator who kind of runs the whole thing. There's the sniffer who does the sniff test. Oh, um, and yeah, he goes around just telling people what their shoes smell like, which is great uh there's the analyst um analyst analyst yeah the analyst who will say like that what make and model and year and type of shoes they are and then there's the starer who just does a steering contest uh with everyone that he encounters which um is difficult for radio but you know we made it happen um (laughs) and i actually think we managed to uh get a pretty good story out of that random set of ingredients we made some kind of cake out of it and uh, we're going to listen to a bit of um, the analyst. He kept getting things wrong. He kept mistaking, you know, sandals and flip flops, and he kept getting like brand names wrong. So uh, he he got in a bit of trouble with his boss. So uh, yeah, let's listen. Let's listen to that. So those are slides. Um, I mean flip flops. That's okay. They are dad shoes. They um the sole is worn, and I just chucked them. We're sorry that happened to you. My colleague stepped out of line. Your shoes have some really nice curves to them. If you continue to insult people's shoes, we may have to consider demoting you. They are Adidas Ultra Boost 19s, if I'm not correct, in their shadow gray colorway. Wrong. What are they? I got them like two years ago. They can't be 19. 19 like came out recently. It's just the model name. I think we're going to have to talk about uh, firing you if you continue to make mistakes. You understand? Yes. Good. Okay. <laughs> yeah. They're not very tolerant. Or <laughs> development is not a thing at their workplace, is it? He he's a strict boss. You know, you got to if you're a, if you're a team of investigators to make the annual shoe report. You know, you've got to you've got to get your shoes right. Um, and at the end of that episode, and at the end of that story, they actually did end up firing him. Um, oh boy! The uh, the sniffer talked about his mistakes and how there's a very big difference in smell between the shoes he got wrong, and that's not acceptable. And the starer said, "I've been staring at his mistakes, and you know, like I can see that he's actually screwing everything up." So um, they fired their friend from the uh, the shoe team, and uh, that's how the the story ended. But I actually am actually, to be honest, like quite. Uh, impressed and uh, proud of <clears throat> myself, but also the kids for <laughs> just taking like this random, random as idea and turning it into like a um, a full on story, uh, like with a with a plot arc and everything. You know, it's it's not easy. It takes a lot of imagination, and uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's how pretty did, great. Um, how did they do, Ryan, with their their shoes and their colorways and oh. all of the other pieces there? Because uh, Ryan I would, would be a, a, a real expert. Yeah, the kid who was asking, I believe they are this colorway, and <laughs> that kid knows his shoes. That kid knows his shoes. I, I, you can tell because he said colorway, and that yeah. is a what is that? That mean? is a word. Colorway is like. Let me see here. You take your shoes, and let's say they're black and white. 
people who care about shoes don't say they're black and white shoes. This yeah. is the Nike Panda colorway, which is black and white. Colorway is just mm. like a name for the colors on your shoe. Mm. It's like a way of cataloging. I'm holding up, I'm holding up a slipper because uh, we don't have shoes yep. in the house here, but we have slippers, and I've got uh, blue and black stripes on my slipper. So, how would you describe the colorway of the slipper? What's the okay? No, here I'll do it. What's the name of the brand of that slipper? Uh, it's <laughs> Muji. <laughs> it's a Muji. That slipper. is the that is the uh, the blue night Muji slipper. Oh, are you serious? The Muji slipper, the Muji slipper in the blue night colorway. That's how it. Are works. you making this no. up? Yeah, I just made. Yeah, I have a problem. Well, he's, make, he's making it up. I mean, but he's, uh, it's a color example, right? Right? Like, do I understand yeah. that? I think I do. Yeah. Like no, but I mean, it just sounds so so here's official. One. You know, these the, shoes. Well, what have you got? These are gray yeah. and red. This is the yeah. UNLV colorway of the Nike Off White Dunk. That's see, it makes it sound a lot more fancy, right? money when did you learn about co- what's it when did you because i wasn't this kid is like 13 years old and he's talking about colorways and i still don't really know what that means so when did well, when do you learn about this stuff do you start, it's all about start when you're exposed. googling shoes it's somewhere when between you get when you exposed. when you go to college yeah. or you're in high school and you want to go to college and you're moving into your mom's basement it's halfway in between there yeah for me it started in college but i mean i I, kid, I still for, don't know what shoes i like you know, like I, I wore Chucks all the time because I just don't know what shoes I like. And then I change from Chucks to a more local brand, which look like Chucks. And I wear those all the time. I just, I don't know what shoes I want to wear. You know, I'm just like, when I, we have one shoe store in New Zealand called Hannah's and they do sneakers or black leather shoes. So you buy a pair of sneakers, you buy a pair of black leather shoes. And that was my, that was my upbringing. So I don't know anything about anything when it comes to shoes, let alone colorways and stuff, you know. Like I'm, I'm mightily impressed, Ryan. Uh, it's honestly, it, it, as I hear myself say it out loud, it's like I sound kind of cool, but also, man, I I should know this much about much more important things. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's uh, Sir Christopher Gilbert here on the International Dispatch. Where are we going the next story? We got another one, don't we? Okay, yeah, let's let's pump one more out. Um, so let, let's listen to some younger kids. Uh, Brendan, we'll skip to number five. Um, but so this is uh, a bunch of smaller kids who are probably like less mature, and uh, that one of them uh, died. Uh, he was eating oh. French fries, and uh, well, um, it's uh, 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 for legal reasons. It's a great camp, Shane, and uh, <laughs> this is all purely fictional and hypothetical. Oh, okay, and uh, let me say again that if you want to leave a positive review, it's Camp Winnebago, Maine. You can Google it and just uh, you know just say how great they are on the internet. Um, I, I fully endorse everything, and uh, I'm not going to get the show in trouble. I'm I'm Absolute saving your shameless. butt here, dude. Thank you. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, number five is a kid uh, died in the cafeteria. Um, and by eating french fries and they are trying to find out how the kid died uh one of the investigators is also the kid who dies it's all very confusing uh but also quite straightforward at the same time uh so the first voice you're going to hear is a uh, one of the camp counselors who they're interviewing um about if they if he has any evidence of uh, the murder of this uh young man here we go any rumors that have spread about such activities happening, I've heard nothing of because my ears are deaf to talk of ketchup. Okay, I kind of believe that. No ketchup-related comments will be extracted from me. Have you ever seen or heard of a ketchup killer or a dead body with, with blood gushing out of their Nose, head, whole nipples, f- toes, and butt. Um, I actually have. I am the ghost of that body. There you go. All right. Well, hey, uh, that sounds like a great camp you got going on there, Chris. <laughs> yeah, they're full of imagination. You know, that was a fictional story. Fire. I feel like. 
we should clarify that that's a fictional story that nobody actually died at this camp. Um, at least in this topic, I'm assuming. So no one's actually, it was a fictional. Okay. These are fictional radio stories of a very great camp. It's been around for 102 years this summer, and uh, the kids are extremely talented. Um, I also highly, highly enjoy the, uh, the, I can't, oh man, can I even try and do it? The, the East Coast, like New York, New Buffalo, like that kind of accent where it's, um, Sounds like they kind of have a gobstopper stuck in their throat, you know, and all the vowel sounds sound, kind of come out like uh, marbles. That's what it sounds mm-hmm. like to me. It's a probably a very well, my my favorite accent is the East Coast New York accent. I like that. That's awesome. Well, those yeah. are cool stories. You know, yeah. what? this is this is perfect timing for us, Chris, because it is um, it is a Good News Tuesday ish, and I think this is fantastic, and I love it, and I love the work and. And let's hope that this summer there are camps for all the kids all over Canada. That'd be cool. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, it's, it's just COVID, COVID, COVID at the moment. And I, 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 this week I thought, you know, like nothing sassy, you know, nothing, nothing. Well, again, sassy. I've got nothing sassy to say. I've got no sarcasm. I'm like, let's just have some good, wholesome fun uh, with some death, uh, you know, <laughs> some blood coming out of nipples, uh, yeah. some smelly shoes, um, you know, like let, let's just uh, get into the, to the, the mind of the child and, and, and vacation there for 20 minutes. So, uh, Canada, you're, you're very welcome. Awesome. Sir Christopher Gilbert, live from Tokyo in Japan. And I'm glad you're feeling better, brother. Thanks for joining us. Oh, it's great to be back. Thanks so much, guys. This is the Shift Podcast. It was back in January where we first introduced you, the Shift Head, to this man. And I, too, met him as well. His name is Garth Mullins, and I was left with so many conversations that I've had with other people, that I've had with my kids, that I've had with myself about drug use, about taking a stand against uh, many of the mechanisms that are in play right now in our lives around uh, drug use and users of drugs. And um, and one of the things that I was left with most recently as I uh, knew that Garth was coming back on the shift was... I, I was sharing and said, oh, yeah, well, Garth's coming on. And like, oh, who's Garth? Well, Garth takes a stand sort of against, you know, drug use, but more so support for drug use. But, you know, so, oh, yeah, well, how did how did Garth get into that? Well, uh, Garth uh, was a user, but he's a methadone guy now. And then I, try, I tried to put you in a box, Garth, and I couldn't put you in a box. And where I settled in was, look, he's just Garth, okay, and he's got lots of good things to say. <laughs> and that was the box I put you in. So I hope that's descriptive enough to to uh, explain Garth Mullins. Sure, Shane. I mean, I'm against the drug war. I'm against prohibition. I'm not against people using drugs. I mean, people always use drugs, whether they're legal or illegal or now or 10,000 years ago. It's just a human thing. So I'm not against that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um. One of the uh, one of the things that you've seemed to be working hard on is you've been taking quite a stand in politics. Uh, lately, um, what's going on in your world, Garth, in your world of, uh, storytelling around, uh, that drug use and the kinds of things that people's lives are like that you shared with me, um, people that do use drugs or that have been addicted to drugs and trying to get back onto living their normal lives. So how are things been going on for you? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just one day at a time trying to make my way through the pandemic like everybody else. But um, my life has been at times made miserable um, and endangered, not so much by the heroin molecule, but by the laws and the law enforcement and the jails and the economy and the health uh, impacts that orbit around the heroin molecule. So that's been a big part of my activism over the last uh, seven or eight years. As, lo- as as well as uh, lots of other people here in Vancouver, is to try and get some of those um, really risky and harmful things away from people. I mean, you know, you had Nixon and Nancy Reagan and all these people saying, just just say no for generations. That's, that's the school and I came up with. It doesn't work. So let's get the mechanisms that are actually killing people uh, away from us, you know, and that's the law. The, the, the law makes drugs illegal. So instead of getting them, uh, you know, like you get a beer at the liquor store and you know, this is not poisonous. This has been a regulated product. Well, it's not that way with heroin. 
Um, the, the illegal drug trade has become more and more contaminated. So that's what's killing people. So I've been working on decriminalization and trying to find a safe supply of drugs for the people who use drugs so that we don't have thousands of people in this country dying every year. One of the questions that I had put in front of all of us here on The Shift was, uh, is legalization going to be enough? And I asked that question as I've sat with our conversation around the, the, the I don't even know if these language is right, Garth, so I'm just going to say it and please correct me. Um, so you have an, uh, an addicted human that's using some sort of drug. I mean, maybe it's heroin because that is the molecule that you talk about. And I like the way, I really, really like the way you talk about that as a molecule. Um, but we may, we may never know that this person is a drug user, right? Like we, we might not because they go to work every day, they do their thing and, and we might not know. So how does that, um, you know, does legalization help that guy? Sure, it does. Absolutely. hundred percent. Like, so if drugs were, um, say you could get heroin by a prescription at the pharmacy or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. um, that would, that would help me and people like me a lot because, uh, the, the thing that endangers my life is the contamination of the drug supply. Um, my life gets made more miserable and has been in the past by police chasing us around, locking us up, um, you know, you, you're forced outside of society because the drug that you're dependent on is illegal. So if the drug was legal and regulated somehow, um, it would change things overnight. Like imagine prohibition, right? Um, back in the day, 100 years ago, alcohol is legal. Everyone, you know, everyone's favorite drink is beer. People drink beer. Then it becomes illegal. And all of a sudden it's moonshine. And there's uh, people like, you know, having uh, machine gun fights in the streets and all this stuff. And and uh, people have to smuggle around moonshine because it's higher volume high, or sorry, lower volume, higher potency, um, you know, to outfox the police. And mm-hmm. people are getting sick, going blind and dying off of off of this unregulated moonshine. Then prohibition laws are struck down. People's favorite drink again is beer. And now I don't know where to go find. I don't know where a beer dealer is. You know, I don't know where to go in the back alley and buy illegal beer that someone made in their hotel room or something. I like, I don't really know how to do that mostly because you don't need to, you can just go to the liquor store, you know, and and get a drink. Yeah. Well, that's interesting, right? I mean, it's, 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 it's really the same, of course, not quite the same, but it's really the same. And, uh, you know, the argument that always comes up, Garth, is that, well, once you legalize it, then, you know, the kids have access to it and then anyone can go do it. Um, does that, I don't know. I I had access to heroin before I could legally drink. I mean, I did heroin before I was of age to drink. Kids have Mm -hmm. access to heroin now. Well, do we (laughs) underestimate those kids? I mean, that's what we, I mean, if you and I were having this conversation, Garth, and we were able to, you know, say we were just talking about nieces and nephews online and their behaviors online. I mean, would we, I don't think it'd be a whole lot different. Would it, we would just be sort of talking about, well, these kids know how to get access to, you know, uh, porn or, or buying illegal things or whatever they want to do. We do underestimate the kids. I mean, you're you shared last time that you know you started in this world pretty young. Yeah, I mean, I think about uh, Leah, who's from uh, Vancouver Island, and who fatally overdosed at the age of twelve um, about uh, a week and a half ago, and that is really young. And I think for for her and her mom and her family, I want um, well, I want a world that doesn't cause people to have so much trauma and alienation. Like like Aaliyah or like me when I was a teenager, that you try and blot it out with opioids or or drugs or whatever. But I also want, if you do, to not die from it. You know, this seems like a pretty simple demand. Of of course, everybody wants to protect the kids from drugs, but kids do drugs. We just have to we have to finally grow up and accept that as a as a society that that is happening. And so let's try and make sure that you know if they just use once or twice or you know party on the weekend or something that you're your little high schooler isn't going to die. I think that should be everybody's priority. So this is what you just sort of made go off in my brain. Um, you, Garth, you know me well enough now to know that you know, often I try to stay with the things that, uh, you know, we talk about in order to see what comes up. And you, it sounds to me like you're proposing a world where, you know, you go to the corner store, you could buy your edible gummies or or your beer or your heroin or whatever. So it's regulated. You know what's in it. And then we also work to teach the children about, hey, by the way, if you do choose to use this stuff, this is the kind of things that can happen. Or, 
you know, these are the kinds of things if you don't buy it from the store that can happen or whatever. Does that open the conversation and maybe actually expand uh, teaching to give young people and adults a better perspective to make the decision of whether that kind of party is the kind of party they want? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, kids should be empowered with proper information about drugs. And when they're at a party, proper information about what drug they're doing, right? Um, like I remember when I was uh, going to high school parties, when I was about 13 is the first time I remember really getting just absolutely shit-faced. And I was able, even at 13, to go like, okay, I know that beer is probably better for me than drinking tequila. Like I saw the tequila at the party, I got offered both, and I I made a choice. Um, I just think kids should be able to do that at parties. If you can't tell um, what's the difference between MDMA, like ecstasy, or 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 um, you know some kind of fake fentanyl pill or something, then you're not able to make that choice. You're not able to get to have the same choice that I had when I was 13 over beer or tequila. You know that's that's exactly what's happening. So for sure, I don't think we need to sell um, everything in every corner store. And across Canada, people have different ways of regulating alcohol right now. Like every province does it slightly differently. Like in Quebec, you know, in Montreal, you can go to the Depaneur and get yourself uh, some cold beer. And you can't really do that in BC. Like the corner store near me, they, they don't have that, right? So it's like there will be conversations. I mean, if this ever happens, there will be conversations in different communities, uh, different parts of the country of how they want to regulate it. Like, do you only want it by prescription from a pharmacy? Uh, do you want it? you know, behind the counter of a liquor store type environment? Do you want it at the corner store? You know, I think communities and, and, and governments can make those kind of responsible decisions together. Yeah, I, it's funny, the morality that sort of creeps in in this conversation. Um, you changed the way that I look at this stuff. I think I shared that with you last time. Um, but it does sort of creep back in, right? The why would you do that? And that's, I don't know if it's the, this is your brain on drugs with an egg in a frying pan commercials that we all saw in the 80s. Um, but it really does. And it, it's challenging to reevaluate the way that we look at that. One of the things that I have learned is that when you put a name to a person, it sort of peels the morality off of it all. Garth, when we... Uh, 25 years from now, you and I, that's when we're supposed to peruse obituaries looking for all the other old folks that finally kicked off, you know, because you and I are old now. We're not supposed to do it, you know, in the middle of our lives like you and I are. And we're not supposed to be browsing obituaries. And the point of tying all these things together is there are names behind all of this. And quite often when we mention somebody's specific name that's impacted by this, we go about it with compassion and empathy. So one of the things that I've noticed with increased frequency, especially lately, it's always been there on your Twitter account, has been um, posting your goodbyes to friends and people that you know that have gone. Garth, you're not supposed to do this at your age. You're, you still got about 20 years or so before you do that. I've probably been to 50 times as many funerals and memorials as I have to, you know, weddings, graduations, and uh, baby showers. Yeah, for sure. It's I'm decades out from, from that time. And I think about, um, you know, just in the last couple of days, uh, old friend of mine, Janice Warren uh, from Parkdale now, used to live in East Van here. Old school punk rocker, was the singer for a great band called Lashback. She was a harm reduction worker. Uh, in in Parkdale and an artist. Everyone loved her. Um, she had the mouth of a sailor. Like she could just wind you up and was just <laughs> foul. Like, I don't know, <laughs> like, like nobody I've, nobody I've ever met. And uh, Sunday morning, 7.30 AM, she's gone. That's it. I'll never see her again. Think about Aaron Clark um, from Victoria who is also the singer for a band, an old metal band, just when metal was uh, crossing over from being that sort of um, that kind of 80s bubblegum stuff to more hardcore. Uh, and and his band was Severance. And um, this guy was hilarious, just like always, always took the piss, even took the piss out of you. And it was funny when he did and just heard today that he's gone. Uh, and uh, Spike, <laughs> this guy, Gerald Peachy, right from the neighborhood here, who ran for the Vancouver City Council in 2018 
We all called him Spike. Everybody knew him as Spike. And his slogan was um, uh, <laughs> vote, vote for Spike and put a spike through City Hall. Huh. So, I mean, that's just that's just five days. And that's just people I know personally. How do you how do you deal with that? I mean, you're trying to not be a user. How do you deal with all that, Garth? I mean, that to me seems like a hell of a load. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm trying not to be, but I I I never uh, try to say that I'm fully recovered or all this or all that because I you know I fall off the wagon. I try and keep it together. I mean, methadone is an opioid molecule, just like heroin or oxycontin or or fentanyl or whatever. So it's it's not so different. I I take that every day, and some days I take more. <laughs> so uh, it's you know it's a struggle, and I don't know. I don't I don't know. It's sometimes I just feel numb. Sometimes I feel uh, just like a bottomless kind of kind of grief. And sometimes I just feel like, wow, there's just not many people from, from my generation uh, left. So, yeah, I don't, I'm still, I'm still trying to figure out, I think collectively is how I've managed to deal with it here. Um, You know, we formed a little community of activists, a drug user union in Vancouver we actually formed it in the nineties during the last overdose crisis called the Vancouver area network of drug users. And we're planning and holding memorials for members all the time, but being in that uh, state of grief together is at least better than being in it alone. Hmm. Are we having two conversations at once around this opioid thing? I mean, I'm trying to look at this from the perspective of, well, which is mine naive, uh, but people who don't know, is there two conversations? Is there the legalized thing? And then there's the mental health thing about we need to create better access to mental health too, because I would imagine, and I'm imagining that the stigma that comes with going for mental health, the first conversation as well, if you stop doing smack, you're going to be a hell of a lot more mentally sound, uh, stigma style, as opposed to yeah, you know what, we've got mental health support for you. And by the way, you can clean up your, your source of your, your product too, which is also going to help you out. I mean, is it two conversations? I think there's a lot of overlap between them. Yeah. And certainly that they government holds them at the same time. And I think that I started using heroin to treat trauma on my own, you know, a mental health, uh, you know, kind of on my own dime. And uh, I think a lot of people do. A lot of people also use drugs and overdose just because they want to party on the weekend. You know, like half of the people who die probably go out not as daily drug users like me, but just, you know, like you want to blow off some steam after a long work week. And, Mm. you know, people in the resource sector here in BC and Alberta, Saskatchewan, I mean, I used to work mining. People party hard on the weekend. It's a hard, it's a hard job. You know, sometimes you're away from your family for long, long periods of time, like a couple of weeks at a time or more. And uh, yeah, maybe you want to get high. Maybe you want to get messed up. And that's all it's always been like that, but the drug supply hasn't been contaminated. So, I mean, I don't, I, (laughs) I think maybe if you want to address that, the mental health is like make, make the kind of work less mental health and loneliness and alienation inducing. But on the other side of it, the people like me who was using heroin to treat trauma when I was really young. uh, Yeah. I I think we got to start offering mental health services as just part of regular Canadian healthcare. Like, Right now, we have this healthcare system that we tell the whole world how great it is, but it doesn't cover your eyes or your teeth or your, um, you know, your prescription meds or your brain, you know, your mm-hmm. mental health care. So yeah. these things are excluded. So when governments wring their hands and be like, what are we going to do? And they even come up with very drastic solutions like in Alberta and British Columbia, there is an actual and a proposed law to lock kids up in mental health care. But it's like, why don't we just offer this for free before we lock the door? Why don't we open the door before we lock it? And uh, there isn't, I mean, governments love to advertise on Twitter or wherever, oh, Mental Health Awareness Week and stuff. But I mean, if they really cared about that, they would include, you know, trauma therapy in uh, what's covered under uh, Canadian healthcare, your provincial healthcare policy, right? Mm -hmm. Right? Like, I was lucky enough, I had a job with union benefits that they paid for uh, trauma treatment. I went and went to this this doctor on my wife or my girlfriend's um at the time her her suggestion 
And she's like, oh, yeah, you got PTSD, man. <laughs> and I was like, oh, what's that? And uh, she treated me for it. And I never would have gotten that kind of treatment if I didn't have extended union benefits. So why can't everybody get that? Why is yeah. it only why is it only me? Yeah, it doesn't seem um, doesn't seem to doesn't seem to make much sense. Um, uh-uh. OK, well, here we are having conversations and I guess hopefully bringing awareness. I, I'm left with the question, why BC, Garth? Like why? I mean, clearly this is not only a BC problem, but why is it just so damn rooted in British Columbia um, differently than everywhere else? Well, this is where um, it's a it's the biggest port in the country, right? It's the largest port with the largest throughput in the country. And it's always been this way. This has been like the gateway to the trade to the Pacific and uh, going back way more than 100 years, this is uh, where a lot of opium came from. And this is also where Canada decided to start cracking down on opium in 1908. Um, there was a, a big racist riot here of angry white people who didn't want any immigrants coming in. In 1907, they smashed up Japantown and Chinatown here in Vancouver. And afterwards, the federal government sent a senior official out to look into the damages. Does any business need to be compensated? Whatever. And he found out, oh, my God, there's opium dens here. And even worse, there's white people are, are going to these opium dens. So, you know, he freaked out, wrote a report to the government. The government very quickly passed the Opium Act that banned this sort of thing. And we were on the way to Canada's long 113 year long drug war. And we started it before the U.S. got going. So out here in Vancouver is where the drug war started. The drug wars is what's causing the misery and the death. And so this is where we have to end it. <laughs> you know, this is why there's been such a fight back here, because to this day, uh, the drug war still disproportionately affects black and indigenous people. Uh, black and indigenous people are, get more overdosed, more get locked up, more get harassed by the cops, more carded, more arrested, more all that stuff. So um, the this is no accident. This is like a baked in uh, racist set of policies from the beginning. And uh, this is why we have to pull it apart. And this is why I hope that we do it in Vancouver, uh, led by drug user activists. Because it's radio and not everyone can see you the way that I can. Um, I feel like it qualifies your statement to let everybody know that not only are you a Caucasian person, you are a very Caucasian. Oh person. yeah, uh, I, definitely. I mean, hundred percent. I, I guess I should clear that up. You know, uh, that, that Vandu is full of white people like me, but also has indigenous leadership, black leadership. Um, we're connected to a bunch of movements, but um, while the drug war falls disproportionately on black and indigenous communities, it hurts everybody. And everybody has an interest in joining hands and tearing it down. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you when you said I'm I'm very white, also I think you're alluding to the fact that I have albinism. I'm albino, and so that's that's even a different shade of pale. So I uh, hope that's uh, I hope that's okay. Oh um, yeah, I, we've chatted for about sure, that before. for sure. Because I'm no, jealous I mean, of your I white hair. I stick out frankly. like a lighthouse wherever I go, so it's it's all right. <laughs> well, I feel like I'm kind of connected that way because my friends used to say I looked like a stick of chalk for an awfully long time, just because I was always so not tanning um, at all. Um, mm. And now that my hair is slowly going more white, I feel like you know we're connecting there <laughs> with my beard being white. Well, there's people with albinism all over the world that come from like Africa, Asia, uh, North America, Europe, and so. Um, Every uh, like every race of people has has albinism in it, and uh, there's uh, different impacts that fall on people differently. But we're all extremely light sensitive, um, and we burn really easily. So most people with albinism die before the age of forty because of exposure to the sun. Oh no way! And I'm just lucky. I live in a northern climate where I can find work inside because most of us don't and can't and die. I had no idea. I had no idea. Wow. Yeah. Um. Yeah, wow. So when we chatted last time, Garth, we um, we shared a perspective. We each shared a perspective about climbing a mountain. And um, I invited you to do something, and I'm curious um, how it's been. We talked about climbing the mountain, and, and uh, you had sort of spoken about your perspective as don't drown today. Um, and climbing the mountain, it was incredibly important to you to continue to climb that mountain. I invited you to, instead of worrying about the top of the mountain, to maybe stop and enjoy the view as you go. Now, 
I'm curious, have you seen anything from that view that um, you've been able to hang on to or has it landed with you from time to time about how, you know, the views can be awesome sometimes? Yeah, I think so. You know, um, me and my dad have gotten to spend a little time during the pandemic and uh, we go for walks, you know, around the neighborhood. And he's been telling me about our family and who we come from and, and uh, where we were. I mean, we're, we're from um, a lot of different places like, uh, like Ireland and England, but also Hong Kong and Peguis Cree. And uh, we were, you know, loggers and soldiers and uh, homesteaders and um, uh, failed business entrepreneurs and, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, uh, inmates at the Riverview Asylum here in, uh, in Vancouver, in the lower mainland. And I didn't know this about us, you know, I didn't know lots about us. And so I have gotten to see um, myself in my, in the way that my ancestors have like come together from different places and strived and also failed. And so I realize I'm a mix of that trying to do something better, but also fucking it up. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and I'm, I feel more at home in, in that longer family tradition than I did before. So I did stop and look off of the, uh, off of the switch back there up the mountain and, and see that view. That sounds beautiful. So when we are a hundred years from now, looking back on the family again, from a different switchback, Garth, what, um, You've got, I mean, you're working so hard and I acknowledge the things that you are creating every day. Somebody in the family is going to look back and see Garth Mullins and they're going to see a man who, at least this is my view, you're going to see a man that started out pretty friggin' crushed as a, a, a young, young teenager and struggled and found his way, who built a nest of people that seem incredibly important to him, has surrounded himself with uh, an awful lot of caring and given out even more. They're going to see a man that's not perfect, work pretty friggin' hard, and um, somehow manage to live a long life through all of this. That's what I think they might see. What do you hope that your family sees when they look back? I don't know. I guess I haven't ever thought about that. Um, I hope, and I've talked to a few of my friends who knew... um, knew Janice who I was telling you about who passed on, uh, on Sunday. And we, you know, we shared with each other that we hoped that we would get old together, that we hoped we would be around to have the conversation later because so many of us were dying. And so I hope that about myself also, I, I hope that I get to be, get to be old, older. And, um, I know there's no guarantees. I know that, um, you, you know, if you're good and wired, uh, like I have been to opioids through my life and uh, there, the supply is still lethal that there's no guarantees for me that I don't fall off the wagon. And I try to be extremely careful, but geez, I've known an awful lot of people who've said all the same things, you know? So um, the struggle I'm involved in is uh, certainly to to try and make a better life for my friends and and neighbors and people close to me and my comrades. But it's also for me, you know, like I also want to live. I also want to live in a place that's not so dangerous. I want to live in a place that's not so dangerous to the the young people, like the next generation in my family, my nephews and niece who are coming up. Like, I don't want them to, to be vulnerable to this either. So I hope that in a hundred years or whatever, people look back and they're like, what was that guy doing? What was going on in the world at that time? Mm. Like, they were ready to heat the climate up by four or five or seven degrees. What was going on? They were killing each other and letting this uh, toxic drug supply go all over the place. I hope that it's, I hope that my work is unintelligible to people in the future. I hope they look and they're just like, this is too, this is too much. Like, I can't get it. I don't get it. You know, like, and, and it's only like a niche interest for uh, historians or something. I hope that it's, it's just like an alien subject to the future. And they're like, you know what? We have a happy life. Um, we're not poor. We're not in danger. We're not in a fraught world. We got a hold of the climate. Um, we got some sense of social justice. We got a hold of colonization. That's not continuing to displace people like here, Palestine, wherever. I, I just hope they don't get it. I hope they think what a weird old guy that guy was. <laughs> and also whoever let him have a guitar. That was a mistake. <laughs> that was that's, a mistake. I hope that's what they think. 
<laughs> oh, it's beautiful. I love that. Thank you for creating that with us, Garth. I love it. And as the guy who thoroughly enjoys our conversations, um, I always look forward to the next one. Thank you for sharing your heart with us today. Garth Mullins. Yeah, thanks for having me, Shane. Take care. Take care of yourself. Take care of the people close to you. It's the Shift Podcast. It is time for us to check in in the world of the woo and get Mr. Dave Scott to join us here. We're never quite sure if he's joining us from the outer spaces or if he's joining us here. With our good buddy Shane from the Shift on the Chorus Radio Network that goes right across Canada. And Shane, how you doing, man? I'm good, brother. How are you? How you been? The uh, I like the new uh, trimmed beard. Looks handsome. Oh, you know what? I I I'll, I'll be honest with you. The reason why I trimmed it: number one, it was driving me nuts. But number two, I actually had a listener on our YouTube channel go by Shiny Ray is her name. She's deaf and has a hearing impediment, and she reads lips. And mm. through my beard, she could not properly read my lips to see what I was saying during the show. So that really actually hit home with me. And I'm like, I got to shave the beard. I have no choice. Got to make it happen. So you trimmed it. Looks good. I like that. Um, It looks really good. So you have had a heck of a couple of weeks here since the last time we chatted. You always say to me, Dave Scott, that um, we need to do a better job talking about things like the UFOs and making sure that the conversation is alive. We need to ask the hard questions. And it looks like some of that hard work is starting to pay off because there's an awful lot of uh, things flying around these days, including videos and more. So tell us what is happening, Dave Scott. Well, first of all, you know how proud I am to sit here and tell you and your audience, I told you so. (laughs) I told you it was coming. I told you the news of UFOs was going to get really, really real. I didn't think it would get this real, Shane. I really didn't think it would get this real. So for people who are not sure what I'm talking about, June 25th is the big day where we are going to see the Pentagon release the files of what allegedly the United States government knows about UFOs. Now, a lot of these military groups and alphabet agencies are kind of playing dumb on the topic. Say, well, we didn't know this was going on, but guess what? They did. They've got files for years. My personal bet in thinking of what's going to go on here very soon is there's a lot of media hype going on with this because the media, as we have talked over the last year that you and I have been doing this, Shane, was really and has really been caught off guard. The amazing part here in Canada is we have every media outlet, even those on the Chorus Radio Network, who are reporting all of these stories in the United States. But guess what? Not a single reporter has approached Prime Minister Trudeau or Harjit Sajjan, our, our Minister of Defense, and said, hey, what does Canada know about these UFOs? What do they know what's going on? Do you not think it's time that maybe we ask that question since it's such a hot-button topic down south? I would imagine Canadian politicians are just drooling at the fact that everybody's eyes are on America right now on all these videos that are coming out. There are some. I've talked to a couple. There are some. They're not ready to go public yet because they don't even know in Canada what agency is actually carrying the UFO files. Look, the public ones we know are the Ministry of Defense. We know that they are scrambling CF-18 Hornets to try and intercept these craft. We also know that we haven't had any fighter pilots come out saying that this has happened, even though we know it's happened. How do we know it's happened? Because there are reports out there that have come out publicly through the Transportation Safety Board and NAV Canada. The question is, why aren't the pilots talking about it? Who is our commander, David Fravor? Who is the Canadian David Fravor, the fighter pilot who intercepted the Tic Tac? Who is Mm -hmm. the Canadian version of that? We need that person to come out or that radar operator on one of Canada's ships in the Navy to come out and say, this is what we saw. I don't care if it's if it's behind a, a dark screen or shadow screen and we change your voice. You got to come out. You got to help out and represent what you saw. 
This is a topic that isn't going away, and we need to figure out, for Canadians' sake, where we are, that we need to know what's going on and what is our role. Now, from what I'm hearing, Shane, our role is to just pass the information over to Big Brother down south. The Americans, Mm. through NORAD, want it all. And that's fine. They've been collecting it for years. Apparently, there was an agreement that stopped in the 1990s between Canada and the United States uh, on UFOs. That may have been rekindled again under a different program or through NORAD. But from what I'm hearing right now, the Canadians are, are scrambling to try and figure out what do we do with this information? Where is the information going? Because they are knowing that the pressure will come on very soon on them. It's uh, the storyline that you mentioned there about the two separate pilots who intercepted, I think it was about 100 miles southwest of around San Diego, uh, a flying object that was sort of bouncing around so incredibly fast. It, that might be the Tic Tac one. They, they said in their interviews that, you know, if I had seen this by myself, I probably wouldn't have said anything because... It was that weird. Unsettling, I think, was the word they used. But because there was two pilots there, and now it has expired on the confidence timeline thing. Excuse my lack of proper terminology. Um, it was. Uh, it's quite a remarkable story to hear them describing uh, this this almost playful flying tic tac that was almost mirroring them and dancing with them. Well, the funny part about it is the pilots, David Fravor, uh, who was Commander David Fravor, he was the lead pilot on this. And then there was former Navy pilot Lieutenant Ryan Graves, who, who intercepted one on the East Coast in Virginia Beach in 2014. They have come out and really said that these objects have been happening for years, and it is daily. You know, Lieutenant, uh, I, I want to say Lieutenant for our, for our Canadian listeners, Lieutenant for our American listeners here on my show, Alex Dietrich, she was the wing person to Commander David Fravor when he went to go into this Tic Tac. Now, for our public that needs to understand this, this craft that they were following literally went from 80,000 feet down to sea level in less than one second. Less than one second. Imagine how fast that is. So if you're a mathematician, and I am not, please do the calculation and let us know how many nautical miles per hour that is. 100,000? 200,000? Come to a complete stop on the water and then start floating around on the air above the water 10, 20 feet? How ridiculous is that? And these pilots saw this, and they're talking publicly now. They're encouraging other pilots of the United States Navy, both past and present, to come out and and talk about these incidents. Now, Alex Dietrich, she went on to say that these reports are happening daily. Now, we have to remember up here in Canada, if these reports are happening daily around the United States Armed Forces and their training facilities, it's happening around the world. It's happening in Canada. It's happening in Russia. It's happening in China, Japan, Great Britain. They're just not talking about it. It's the Americans who've decided to talk about it. Now, it's just the United States Navy. The Air Force wants nothing to do with this story. They are still quite silent on the whole thing. But this is where we are. And it's time for people to believe that this is something that is truly, truly amazing going on and Everybody should start paying attention. There's a remarkable video that was, uh, it's trending, and it's this one. Uh, it's at globalnews.ca. It's a video of a UFO. It's one of the uh, nighttime spectrum cameras that, that captured the video, and they call it a leaked video. The UFO is flying just above, hits the brakes just above the water, but then submerges. So what do you know about that storyline around UFOs flying into the ocean and maybe hiding down in the depths. There is a very good possibility that is happening. These craft, including the Tic Tac that Commander David Fravor saw, literally went into the water and was able to come out. These have propulsion systems that can seem to 
go very fast underwater. We're talking like four or 500 knots underwater and then come right out of the water and take off into the air and shoot up into space within milliseconds. This is something that the Navy is checking out. They want to know how these craft are able to, to fly in the sky and go underwater at the same time. This is, this is a reality. That video that you're seeing, which was released by Jeremy Corbell and George Knapp from Mystery Wire, is, is very real. This is another one of those videos that has been released by the Pentagon. My sources are telling me that Corbell is going to be getting more videos coming around soon that will be released before the June 25th date. Look, they're laying it out on the line. The big question that we need to be asking ourselves right now, Shane, and this is what we've been discussing for the last couple of months on our show, is why now? Why now? Why is this all of a sudden important? For 70 years, they've called people who see UFOs and aliens lunatics, tinfoil hat-wearing conspiracy theorists, nothing but nighttime convenience store clerks with no dental plan, who've never made more than minimum wage. Trust me, everybody in ufology has heard every incident and insult possible. Okay, People in this, in, in this field who believe in this have lost family members due to thinking that, oh, Oh, so-and-so is a little bit off right now. He sees aliens. And you know what? The conspiracy of it all is coming true. The question is, how much is it going to come true? And there's a lot of people who've sacrificed, but we also have to remember in that why now question, why is it important for the military to come out? Why is this all of a sudden taking government heat? Now, there's two theories that are going on on this side of the microphone. Number one, and this is my opinion, and it's getting a little bit of legs on social media lately. Number one, there's always been this rumor led by a gentleman named Dr. Stephen Greer, who claims that there is an alien war that's going to be a false flag that's potentially coming, an alien invasion. And we got to be prepared for that, this false flag. Number two, which I find a little bit more credible, even though it sounds a little bit more woo is that we are hearing as well that maybe, just maybe, contact was made and those from above have given us a date on when they will be arriving. It's not going to be this year. It's not going to be next year. Maybe as early as five years, maybe as long as 30. One important source that I go to on a regular basis told me, be prepared for your your children and my children when they are grandparents to be living with extraterrestrials on this planet. How scary is that? Uh, That's terrifying to me, unless they're like super nice and they happen to, I don't know, pick up after my children. That would be really helpful because uh, then I could, you know, really, you know, use the help around the house as a single dad with two kids. But I'm doubting that would be why they would travel all this time to get here. So here's a question. You took us there very naturally, but Jeff asks this, a question for your UFO guy. Apparently you're my UFO guy. Thank you. Uh, if the United Nations got any single government or whatever country came out and confirmed that there was actual proof of UFOs and aliens in the world, what do you think the world's reaction would be? Would we be ready as a civilization for full disclosure? No. Now, there are people who believe that we need to get this out for the betterment of, of humankind. Luis Elizondo has been saying that. But we have to also understand, too, there are real ramifications of this happening. And this is why I do believe this is going to be very, very slow of a process. It's going to affect the markets. It's going to affect every person on this planet. There are very few things in this world and in our lifetimes that will affect each and every one of us. A comet smashing into Earth from space would affect us all. COVID has affected us all. If Jesus Christ himself comes down from the heavens... It will affect us all, all right? The fact that we are not alone in the universe will affect everybody on this planet. There's a lot of people out there who are going to be afraid. We're going to see, you know, people stockpiling on on toilet paper and Metamucil and hand gloves and and bullets and everything. And I I say that with, with some humor, but look what we've seen so far with COVID. Look at the people in the U.S. when when uh, the computer problem happened with the gas company 
in the U.S. And everybody was grabbing shopping bags to fill up with gasoline yeah, because they wanted to make sure they were have gas. We are a panicked society right now. If we all of a sudden throw into the fact that we could be being visited by extraterrestrials, who knows what we're going to do on this planet? People are going to be hoarding. People are going to be stealing. It is going to be anarchic for a while. You know, people are going to be running into the forest and living off of wildlife. We, you know, I'm not trying to hit the fear factor button because I'm not into the fear porn of it all. But there is a real reality of what is going to happen here, and we got to be prepared for it. Uh, yeah, you know what, and and it's a reality of that's the way that we've seen people react. That's for sure. Spaced Out Radio, uh, Dave Scott, check it out. Um, it's fantastic work that you've done. And you're right, man. You, uh, you nailed it. It's still, I did get a text, by the way. 80,000 feet per second is the equivalent of 54,545.445 miles per hour. So there's your That's answer. Fast. Thank you very much. That's very fast. Thanks for being here, brother. It's so great to hear your voice. I, uh, I appreciate you. Next month, I will promise you that we will have some big news regarding this. Yeah, well, we uh, we're we're on tap to have you on just before that it comes out, and we'll absolutely bring you back as it comes out too, and get more information. On all this, you're our insider on the things going outside of the atmosphere. Thanks so much, Dave. All right, take care, Shane. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show, and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.